0: welcome to north bay christ the king you're listening to our weekly service message podcast join us every sunday morning at nine thirty and 11 o'clock at our campus location in birch bay washington thank you for tuning in well tomorrow is veterans day And we want to take a moment, because it is, to honor those that have served or serve in our military. So would you mind if you are a vet, could you stand up, if you're a veteran today, could you stand up where you're at? Is anyone here in the service? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you back there. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. We had several in the first service that served and, and, and have served, and so thank you for just your... We don't know, right? We, if you have if not serving them, you don't know the dedication, the training, and, and putting yourself in arms way uh, for us, for our country, that we can even be here today and celebrate the freedom that we have. And, and so as, as we go in tomorrow and we take time off, some of you will be taking some time off to honor and remember... I was in looking up the other day, like where did Veterans Day come from? Obviously, we're it's just to what well, we know the purpose of it, but it actually started back in at the end of World War One. In fact, it's the, it's the declaration when the World War War ended, called Armistice Day, and it was November eleventh, nineteen eighteen. November eleventh, nineteen eighteen. It was interesting. I was reading. I was reminded too where they had said about World War One that it was supposed to be the war that would end all wars. I thought, hmm, interesting to say that, right? A little, a little, a little ambitious and a little naive, don't you think? Come just a couple decades later, World War II, which even considered the a greater war, great war that happened. And all the, the casualties that, that were lost there, we had the Korean War, we, have the, we had the Vietnam War, some of you maybe, you know, you know, the Persian Gulf, the Afghani War, the Iraq War, all these wars, these conventional wars. Well, there was all other kinds of wars, biological wars, nuclear war. We, we, some of you remember the Cold War, you know, that, that, that existed. That war came in, in different fashions. And even today, it's kind of, it's really interesting with technology now, they, they're calling it, you know, the social media war, the, the soft war. And, it, and probably, Propaganda has always been a part of a, a tactic of, of, of war. But it's so much so that we, we hear about and read about what's, what's taking place. And, and so war is, is still around. There, the war, they didn't know war, there's still war happening. And even Jesus declared in this, in this world, he says, in this world there'll be trouble. Our, 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 late, our couple last week, Mike and Kim Anderson, shared this. They talk about marriage and struggles. That, 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 that Jesus said there will be. There will be problems. There will be issues. In this world, you will have trouble. We're not an amen church. So how many many would say amen to that? In in this world. But I love the last part of this. But, Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And he did. We need to be reminded today that Jesus ended the war to end all wars. A war that we could never win. He defeated our, our sin on the cross. And he defeated death that we were supposed to deserve. Eternal death. Through the resurrection. Rising from the dead. We celebrate. Next week. I don't know if Logan mentioned it. Next week we're doing baptisms. So if you'd like to be baptized. Please let us know. Because that's a declaration that the war has ended in your life. That, that Jesus has victory in, in your life. And what he's, what he's accomplished. So the war, that end all wars, has happened. And yeah, I don't know about you. There's times I just feel against the ropes. I'm, I, I'm like, I don't know if I feel in it, right? I don't know if back in the old days in church, do you, say, do you have, the, brother, do you have the victory? Do you ever hear that before? People say, brother, do you got the victory? I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, I think I struggle at times. And, and I need to be reminded. But also today, I hope that you hear in this message that, that we need to help remind others. See, you know, it's interesting that Armistice Day, it, it, it officially ended World War I, but the war wasn't over. Months went on. In fact, if you read in history that uh, the Treaty of Versailles was signed like several months later, the peace treaty was there. And in the midst of it, and even in the midst of other wars where there is, there is uh, the war is over declared, there were still POWs. Prisoners of war. We look at World War II and they're in the South Sea Islands and they're held captive. Either those that are held in captive didn't know that they lost or maybe they did know and they're still in deception of that. So we, we look at that in our lives and there's still around us, even in, you understand, in a spiritual war. See, Christ signed the war to end all wars with his own blood. Now what happens? Well, there's a spiritual rescue mission that still needed to go and to find those and to reach out to those. And if you're a follower of Christ, you, you're free. You, the war that won all wars is done. It's accomplished on the cross through the resurrection. And now there's still a battle though. A battle to go and fight the good fight. And that's what we've been doing in this series. calling Talking about the good fight. The good fight of faith. Jesus gave us these marching orders. This rescue mission. He says, go into the world and preach the good. Gospel in all creation. Gospel means the proclamation of good news. What's the good news? The war is won. You are free. This morning, and it, it, our focus about the good fight is to declare that we're free, but to help others declare that they they can be free as well. Today, we're going to talk about fighting for our community fighting for our community. Specifically, those who are POWs of a spiritual war that don't know that the war is over. They don't know that that Jesus won the war. I mean, maybe they heard about it, but they really don't understand it. Let me ask this question for us. North Bay, what do you want to be known for? Our whole series has been what we're for, not what we're against. What do we want to be known for? Now, that's a loaded question, I know, especially when the culture that we live, because the church of America has been known, at least historically, what they're against rather than what they are for. Social issues, uh, lifestyle issues, policies, you know, w- lots of things. And, and, and some of those have righteous causes to them. Don't get me wrong. There, there's a, there is a fight for morality. There's a fight for that. But what we're known for many times is much less of what we are fighting against. See, at Christ the King, our passion here, our deep passion is that people out there would know that we're not against them, that we're for them. That God is not against them, but is for them. Jesus came. If you look at how Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come anti-anything. He really came pro-everything. To proclaim the good news that there's a spiritual arm that has taken place, that it's over, that's, that's it. And you know, Luke records in the gospel he writes about Jesus and how he started his ministry, and it's interesting what led up to it, and then we're going to look at this where it says really kind of the mission that Jesus was on and the mission that he's called us to. In Luke chapter 4, this proclamation that takes place. The first came when Jesus came, he was he he spent forty days tempted by the devil after his baptism. And this is what it writes. Luke writes in chapter four, verse fourteen. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praising him. What was happening is Jesus was getting gaining popularity. He was in Galilee. If you look on a map, you can see. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee and around it's a lot of a lot of fishing villages and, and he spent a lot of time just around in Capernaum and Tiberius and, and areas that are there and I, I when I visited Israel it's really fascinating. The place hasn't changed a whole lot. There's cars and there's there's tractors and things like that. But it's very Uh, very much a fishing village. It's it's amazing to see the the place where Jesus walked. And he spent most of his time in Galilee. In fact, they predict about 80% of his time was just in the the area of Galilee, specifically in a fishing village called Capernaum. But one day, Jesus gets word that his parents, his folks probably, I don't know what doesn't say, but that he needed to come back home. The calling to come back home to his hometown of Nazareth. And so he goes home. He goes and visits his home church, really not church back then, visits his, his home synagogue. And it says he went in, verse 16, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. We're not sure on all this. We kind of presume that, you know, Jesus had somewhat of a name for himself and then he became an established rabbi and we travel around speaking. And then he came home. It was kind of special, and especially in a small little town to have people kind of hometown hero come back. And, and, and so with that, like, Jesus, you're here with us. Why don't you come and read the scripture? And what's interesting is what he reads. He's handed, it says here, he handed the scroll and he unrolled it and he found the place where it was written. He found the place. And what you need to understand is they would read Scripture kind of on a rotation basis. They would read the Torah and the Law and the Prophets. And then they would read through it. And then they'd read it all again. And it's almost, you could say, you could, you know, it might have hit every year or maybe even 18 months to what he was going to read. And see, he so happens to be home. He so happens to be handed this scroll to read this specific Word divinely timed by God. Verse 18 says this. This is what Jesus reads. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a prophecy that Isaiah wrote 600 years before Christ. 600 years of generation, after generation, hearing him out, proclaiming, reading it over and over again, of a Messiah, the Christ. That's Messiah. Christ means Messiah in Greek. The Messiah, the Christ would come and proclaim. Isaiah prophesies that this would happen, not just physically, but even more important, spiritually. That poor would find hope. That bail would be posted for the prisoners. That people wake up spiritually. Would be able to see. Those enslaved by, by no more, they would have no more chains and the, and the sin that was holding them back. That, that the day would come that their debts would be paid and not just physically, but spiritually they would, they would have freedom in their life. 600 years where the prophet wrote that this day would finally come. Listen, Luke writes this next what, what Jesus did after he read it. It says, then he rolled it up. Gave it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We can't really grasp the magnitude of what he just said. You ever hear about the drop the mic moment? I mean, he dropped it high. He dropped it boom. What he did at that moment. We don't understand the significance, how that was. He was saying that hundreds of years of what Isaiah prophesied, hundreds of years, generation after generation, people hoping and longing and waiting, people of persecution face invading armies, their temple being desecrated. They've been demoralized for decades upon decades of this remnant of people left called Israel. And Jesus comes along and says, guess what? All done. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the guy you've been looking for. Everything that you read here is about me. Those words are my words. And they're come now to a place of fulfillment. The hometown response, you know what it was? What? What? Did he just say? It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They were amazed. Gracious words. Gracious words were in his manner and speech that he was speaking with the grace of God. And that's the character and nature of Jesus. He didn't come in there cocking. Go, that's me. He came in there with, this. John writes, that came with grace and truth that was presented to him. But he's going, it's, today's the fulfillment of that. Pretty significant. Pretty amazing. They were amazed. But then someone goes, uh, verse 22 says, Isn't that Joseph's son? They ask. Yeah. Joseph's son. Joseph and Mary? Them? That's Jesus. that's him? Mary, and Joseph, the peasant couple. They grew up and they're pretty young when they kid. And we're not sure exactly what happened. But we just know that that's them. And, 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 and in Nazareth, all places, like, like our town, You're saying Jesus, the guy grew up, uh, him, even even Nathaniel, when Philip came to him and says, hey, we found the Christ and everything, he's from Nazareth. Like, he's like, Nazareth? Can anything come from Nazareth? It's like saying one of our hometowns here, can anything come from Ferndale, you know, or Custer? I live in Ferndale. I'm not dissing Custer. I love Custer. I love Blaine. Okay, I love Birch Bay. Can anything come from one of those towns? maybe you grew up that way. You're like, nothing big comes from this, you know? Well, what do we got, right? That's really what they're saying. He's like, how could that be? Really? So there was, it says this, that that, that things got a little bit, got a little bit kind of heated and fired up, and and let's just say it's a little, Jesus kind of stirred the fire here. He added fuel to it. He said, Jesus said Don't surely you will quote this proverb to say, physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do you hear in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum? Truly, I tell you, he, he continued, no prophet is except in his hometown. And that's true, isn't it? Like you're from here. Oh, come on. You're just one of us. It can't be. Really? You? We know you grew up. We hung out together. Really, Jesus, you're the guy? Come on. And there was some, you ever heard familiarity breeds contempt? That's really what was going on here. And so not only were they kind of like dismissive, they were a bit peeved. That this prophecy, because what Jesus is saying in, in this prophecy, he was saying, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled through me, which is a big deal. But it's not just going to be for us here, us of the chosen people of Israel, but it's going to be for all of mankind. It's going to be for Everyone. The the chosen Jewish people and the low-life Gentiles too. Well, they did not like to hear that. It says this, all the people in the synagogue were furious. Here they were amazed and everything. And then what he says next, it says they're furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill, which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. And I've been to Nazareth, a really tall cliff, by the way. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I think it's just really interesting. Like here Jesus allows himself. He's got himself taking up to the hill. And then somehow he slips out of it and going, nah, my time, as he said in other places, my time has not come. And it didn't come. It didn't happen for the next three years. But it was telling me, fighting words. I'll tell you, there was a contentious relationship with him and and specifically the, the religious Pharisees and Sadducees, they're were, they were really, really upset with him that led him ultimately to be crucified on the cross. But that was the whole goal and all of it. Was that to take place? See, we know when we fight for something, there's always going to be someone against us. There is. There's just going to be opposition. There is going to happen that way. And Jesus recognized the fight And he knew that the war that needed to be won was going to be ultimately his sacrifice to lay down his life. You think of the men and women in our country have laid down their life for the freedom we have. Jesus paid the ultimate price to win the ultimate war that we needed, to win it. He won the war that would end all wars for our sin. On the cross, but greater even to win the war of death through his resurrection. That final victory. And that's the final victory through his death that we rest our entire Christianity on. What you have in your Bible, and what you read and on your app is telling its testimony it tes- after testimony of what took place. Our whole faith is based not on what is written, is what took place. And what was written tells us what happened. This resurrection that took place. And through it, through it, Jesus says, I've won the war. Now I've got a mission for you. To go in all the world and preach the good news. And but you're not going to have to do it alone. I'm going to help you. That the same spirit, that the 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 spirit of the Lord that's upon me is going to be fulfilled through me. Now it's going to be now fulfilled through you. He tells them to go in Acts 1.8. eight says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This happened during the, the day of Pentecost. Pente means 50, 50 days after the resurrection. The 100, 120 were gathered of his closest, the, clo- the, the broader group of his followers and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the same spirit, think about the same spirit that Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was, was, was filled with That The same spirit that raised him from the dead would now come and dwell in them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now will be upon you. Pretty powerful, amazing. This, this war that was won, the good news that it's over. The war of sin and the war of death is done. The win, the war of all wars. But that begs the question for all of us each and every day and the struggle and the battles we're in, but now what? <laughs> well, now what? Well, here's our core truth. The war has been won, but the mission is not done. The war has been won, the mission is not done. Because of the resurrection, we are now called to this rescue mission to go back and to rescue spiritual POWs. Armistice Day was a, day, a great declaration, November 11, 1918. But the war wasn't over. It took a while for that war to be over, and it wasn't all the wars over, because more wars came. We live in this battle, we live in this world, and there's spiritual POWs still to be rescued. There's people that still need to know that the war has been won, and they don't know that they're prisoner of war itself. Hurting broken people, lost people in community. And Jesus says, I want you to go from here to out there. From your Jerusalem. What's our Jerusalem? Right here. Jerusalem sits right. We're in, we're in the ground zero where Jerusalem is for us. It's called Birch Bay. Judea. Some of us live in Ferndale. Some of us live in Custer. Some of us live in Blaine. Some of us live over here. Our area, our broader areas are Judea. Our Samaritan is Whatcom County. And then we partner together for the mission of, of Jesus in Whatcom County and the churches that we're part of and then the rest of the world. It goes from here to there. Now it's a daunting task, the rescue mission that Jesus has called us on. And that's why we need to fight together for our community. We need to pull together to fight the battle. It's a rescue mission. We are to go and, and to help those who are in prison or in war that don't know that the war has been won. And what Jesus has done, That's our passion. That's hard to be our task. And I would say today that within myself, what I'm about to share is I, I don't want to come off angry. I don't want to come off like forcing anybody to do anything. But I would tell you with deep within my soul, at times I feel like I'm jumping out of my skin how important this mission is that we're hired, that I live for this. And I hope that you live with this as well. But if I get any more passionate about it, I'm afraid it won't match the room, that the the of you're sitting here today. I don't think it'll match. And it'll come off angry and mean or anything like that. I, I did that in the first service. I caught myself. I realized I can't do that. That's just not helpful for you. But I tell you within me, I can't stop it. And I'm passionate about it. And I hope you can. I hope today, the next couple minutes, in a practical way, how we can get excited about this rescue mission. Because the war has already been won. It's done. But we're now called as Christ followers to go back into the battle in a rescue mission. The first thing to know in this, a fight for those. If we're going to fight for a community, fight for those who need hope. Now, I, there's, you could argue, what, what do people need the most in life? And some would say love. And I, I believe we need love. But I tell you, I think hope comes in first. is this because if, if you don't have any hope, what's the motivation of loving anybody or receiving any kind of love in the first place? Hope is so important that we have. And, and, and part of the rescue plan of this declaration that was declared in Isaiah 600 years before that was fulfilled in Jesus, now it is to be fulfilled in us, is this. is to go and share the good news, to proclaim the good news To the poor. Now, when we think of poor, we can clearly think of economics. And it's so true. People need clothing. People need food. And people need shelter. I'm grateful that each and every year we do a winter coat drive. And many, many coats were donated. We, we have a food bin each and every week. People like yourself are donating. And, and the food that's going in there, we're, we're getting ready for a Thanksgiving. And so we help c- contribute to Thanksgiving baskets. And some of you bake pies and providing meals for people that are in need. We're going to spend some time here in Christmas causes again. Our focus is. Again, this year is going to be on kids, locally through our toy store that we're involved with, and globally through Malawi and reaching out to the people of Africa and children of Africa. But how many know, poor is more than just economics. Poor is also, Jesus called poor in spirit. People who lack hope due to loneliness, depression, and loss, and lacking true meaningful relationships. Many people around us, maybe even this room would say, I'm a bit emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. And we move into this holiday season. Here we come again, another holiday season. And we've got to figure out how we're going to fight for our community again. We're going to have to figure out because it's great to write a check. It's great to make a donation. But sometimes if that's all we do, it's just pity. It's not really love. What needs to happen next with what we give is also a relationship that goes with that and to mentor people, encourage people. So I encourage you too, and myself included, look for new friends, people to join your small group, people to have coffee with, people you're gonna invite to a holiday dinner. Even tomorrow night, some of you are gonna watch the big game. Who are you gonna invite? Don't watch it by yourself. Invite people. Find someone even before you leave today to reach out because we need each other. But our community needs us even more to give hope, to give hope. Just friendship comes through hope. And another way to fight the good fight for a community is this. The same mission Jesus gave us is our mission is this to fight for those who need direction. Fight for those who need direction. History records that the POWs, you know, you, are, you probably know this already. It wasn't just a, a physical inca- you know, they're, they're cap- in captivity. It was also a spiritual, or a psychological, sorry, a psychological captivity that they were in prison and they lost all their rights. They lost any kind of way of making decisions, not just for months, but years somewhere. And so when they're let out and going, they didn't know what to do. They needed to be pointing in the right direction. They needed, they needed help and knowing, making decisions for themselves. And I would say in our life right now, people don't realize it, but they're spiritually tor- being tortured. They're being held captive and they don't know what they they, they, they need help and that's why we need to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. There's freedom available. People need to know the door, the prison door is open. Jesus won the war. You accomplished it on the cross and through the resurrection. You can just walk through. But I don't know where to go. Can we show you the way? Can we guide you away, proclaiming freedom for the captives? I'm so appreciative men and women over the years that work here, that are part of our church, that actually serve in jail ministry. In prison ministry. But how many know you can be, it's not four walls that keep you captive. It's the mind and the heart. And we need to help people find freedom. Freedom from guilt and regret and, and finding forgiveness through Christ and be able to forgive others that they're, they're, they're entrapped by bitterness. To love that way. And to love in such a way to show them the way out. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life out. And to give direction is this also for them to find need truth to fight for those who need truth and this is recovery for the blind several uh well it's been several maybe maybe three or four years ago I went to the doctor and the doctor said hey have you have you got your eyes checked lately and I'm like I don't remember well, when you, I, I, I said when was the last time he said uh, he asked me I said well the 90s? I don't remember, you know, getting my eyes. And he goes, well, probably good for you if you need, you know, check for glaucoma check for other eye diseases that are out there. And I didn't know that. And so I, so I went to Costco, which I never thought you could go. I, I go, go to Costco for food and things, but I guess you, you can do everything at Costco. You can get your eyes checked there. And so I go there and then, and they say, yeah, Yo, you probably could use some corrective lenses. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm fine. I can see fine. And they took me out in the lobby and they, they put some corrective lens. They first said, Hey, look at the clock. And I like, see, can you see the time? Oh yeah, I can see the time. And then they put corrective lenses on me and go like, wow, it's so clear. <laughs> Wow. And I just thought they were trying to sell me glasses, right? I'm like, you know, okay, I'll take a pair of those. Do I wear them? No. <laughs> now, when I'm at the movie theater and driving, I do wear them. So it does help clear things up a little bit. And I thought, you know, we do that in life. We're, we're assuming we can see okay. We're assuming that everything's fine, right? Until we, we hear and experience truth and we're handed it to it. And then I would tell you, for yourself and myself at times there's also people in our community, they're blind. They don't know they're blind. They don't know they can't see. In fact, Paul tells us this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They hear about Jesus all the time, but he's a swear word. They're not, they don't know. They don't know. And the way we help them know is to share with them but we need to be careful how we share it. You've heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. We can't force people in truth. I can't force you to believe something. You have to believe it for yourself. It's the spirit of God that reveals it. But I tell you, there's moments that we get to do that. And Paul, um, actually Peter tells us this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to, to you to give the reason for the hope that it, you have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. No one's, you can't force anybody to believe anything. You're going to turn people off. You're, you're, that, that'll kind of show we're against them rather than for them. But once we have that moment and opportunity, man, let's be ready. to be able to share the truth. Not to force, but to guide them toward truth. Well, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. So you know this, and our rescue mission for our community is this, to fight for those who need freedom, that need freedom. to set the captive free. The oppressed Free. You might not know this, but there's 27 million slaves in this world today. 27 million. There's more slaves in all history, today, right now. Women and children specifically they are caught up in sex trafficking. I5 quarter, just even in Whatcom County. It's such a, a problem. It's happening. You think in our community? Yes. I'm so grateful that we can partner with Engedi Refuge, a restorative program that helps women who are surviving, getting out of sexual exploitation and trafficking. It's, but know this, the depression the, the that's there, it's not just physically, it's also psychologically. The imprisonment that these women, and, and I would say anyone who has had an abusive past, what they've gone through, to shake the shackles and to find freedom that you don't have to be in prison any longer, that there's hope and there's healing and there's opportunity for every single person that wants to receive it today, that the the cell door is open. Why? Because the war has been won. Can we help you? But we got to go to them. We got to go to them. We got to find the people that need help and rescue them. And I love that song, that whole whole song, A Reckless love of God, that that God would climb any mountain. he 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 would break down any barriers, any walls to come running after us. That's our mission, that we do whatever it takes to do it ultimately is this rescue mission is this, is to fight for those who need grace. To fight for those who need grace. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, you have to look that up. What does it mean the Lord's favor? Well, he specifically talked about the year of jubilee. 50 years in the Jewish calendar was called the year of jubilee. So if you were a slave, guess what? You're free. If you had debt, Guess what? Your debt was taken care of. Can you imagine the year of Jubilee still existed? How amazing that would be? Like your mortgage, you know, all of a sudden you get a, you get a call from, the, from your bank and the mortgage company say, you don't have to make any payments any longer. What? You know, you didn't, you get a, you, your credit card bill is, is, is zero balance. That would be a year of Lord's favor. Wouldn't you think? That would be pretty awesome. Well, guess what Jesus did. A, the year of Jubilee is when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead that we are free. No longer slaves, we're called in to this amazing grace that he gives us. Not slaves to sinning along, we're free in Christ. And not just for us, there's POWs out there. There's people that you go to work with, that you go to school with, and they're sitting right there and they think they're okay and they think they're fine. They don't realize they're held captive. And then we're to be the ones to be passionately reaching out to them and love and care and acceptance to help them out of that life because what Jesus did for us. This week, I want to challenge you in answering this question, this next step. How will you fight for our community this week? What will you do? What's one thing? The great tragedy is to listen to this message and, and go out from this place and go, oh, wasn't that a great message? And do nothing. That's the worst sermon that you could ever hear is when you do nothing about it. What are some tangible things? And I want you to think about that. People that are hurting, people that are broken, people that need a friend, the people that need hope, that need direction, that need to find truth, that need to find freedom, Who need to experience the favor of God through his grace. Who is it in your life this week? You know who they are already. You can identify with them and and reach out to them. And as you begin to think about this, we're gonna come to a place of prayer but I want to give you a wonderful opportunity that when I heard it, I was like, yes, I'm in already to sign up for it. And that's a ministry called Teach One, Lead One. And i want to invite Jacob Mack. My new friend Jacob Mack is going to come and share about this. And this is one example, a great example, as he shares about it, and then we're going to close together.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. So several years back... Um, Several years back, I came home from college, uh, and I was met by my mom, and she said, "Uh, Jacob, you're going to want to go see old Jim. See, he was 99 years old, and he had been my neighbor since I was three years old to that present time. And she said, he doesn't have a whole lot of time left. And of course, I was emotional when she said this, because immediately my mind went to all the conversations I had uh, at his kitchen table. And following him around while he was mowing the lawn, uh, while he uh, cut the grass, just so I could hang out with him. And uh, <laughs> remember talking, he, he would tell me about the war uh, and, and what it was to have honor, and the times that he had to have courage and what that meant. And so I went to see him, um, and and I'll be honest, it wasn't the easiest experience when you love someone to see, you know, struggling to eat and whatnot, but. <laughs> At the same time, I was kind of excited because I got to tell him that when I went to college that I met a young life leader and that I decided to follow Jesus all the days of my life. And he was a Christ follower. In fact, I'm not sure about this, but I'm I'm not sure he wasn't the only Christ follower I knew growing up. At least I didn't know it. My family was actually anti, so this man invested in me. And so I got to tell him that. And through the conversation, he kind of, I could tell he was kind of going in and out. Right? He wasn't making a whole lot of sense. But at that moment, when I told him that, he got real clear. <laughs> he looked up at me and said, Ah, oh, finally. <laughs> he says, I've been praying for you for 17 years. Which I'm like starting to cry when he says that because I had no idea. And he says, I just knew it. He said, You're a leader and a world changer you're going to touch more, many more lives than I ever could. Two weeks after that, he did pass away, and he's with Jesus now. But I will never forget the words of my mentor, and I didn't even know I was being mentored. So what does this have to do with Teach One to Lead One? Everything. <laughs> Teach One to Lead One is a mentoring program. And we invest in the lives of kids by going into the schools, the places they're at, foster care system, juvenile court, and mentoring students with truth. So how do we do that? We call them universal principles. A universal principle is a truth that is true for anyone, anywhere, and any time. So we go into the public schools, we bring teams, a group of mentors, five, six people go in and they take over the classroom and we have to teach one to lead one. And every single time, it's something like respect and compassion. And if I'm honest with you, they're straight out of the Beatitudes. And universal principles, well, I call them absolute truth, but not in the schools. <laughs> it's the same, same thing in a different wrapper. So, um, but why do we do it? Well, there's a great need. The need is great. And I don't want to be doom and gloom, but we talk about poor in spirit. There have been more students who have died or been seriously injured in mass school shootings in the U.S. in the last 18 years in the entire 20th century. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death between the ages of 10 and 24. The second leading cause of death. Talk about a fight for uh, those who need hope. And the leading... um, belief system in our, for our students today. Not all of them. There are exceptions. You know, I don't want to generalize and say every kid is this, because that's not true. But the leading belief system is relativism. And for those who aren't familiar with that, that means what's true for me is true for me. What's true for you is true for you, and they don't have to be the same thing. So they have nothing to stand on. Talk about a fight for those who need direction and truth. And I've I've had people say, you know, well, how can we fix fix such a big thing? We can't go into public schools. We can't talk about Jesus. And and that would be right. That's correct. Teach One to Lead One is not uh, designed to teach religion or recruit for a church. Because we have to be respectful of the division between church and state. However, it is a, a tool that's designed to teach truth that is approved by the Department of Education nationally. So, we get to go in as Christ followers and teach truth, and that that's another amen because the fact that we can do that is amazing. So we go into the classroom, and we go for uh, sorry we go for um, fourteen to sixteen weeks. Once one to two times we go one to two hours a week for fourteen to sixteen weeks. We serve third grade and up. Um, we do it through the school day and also after school. Uh, But the cool part is, is that we take over that group and we'll play games and we'll watch videos and we do those kinds of things. But at the end, the same mentor is with the same four or five kids every single week talking about what is it to be compassionate? What is it to be a person of integrity? What is it to be a person of Courage. And that's where the transformational relationship happens. So my question for you guys is, would you be willing to go in the classroom once a week, one to two hours, to possibly change the trajectory of a kid's life? Because we need mentors. We need people that are willing to say, yeah, I want to be part of the solution. Because there is a crisis. So would you be willing to plant the same seeds that that old old man Jim is what I used to call him? How offensive I didn't even think about it when I was a kid, but oh, would you be willing to 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 plant the same seeds that old man jib did in me because you never know they may affect more lives than even you could so that's all I got. Thank you guys
0: when uh Jacob called me up and told you know, email me to get together, and he started talking about it. I, t- I said, "You have me at Hello." because I, I'm already there. Like, I'm waiting for an opportunity like this to get involved this way. Uh, but I, I'm, only, I'm a full-time pastor, so I have time during the week. I can take a Wednesday at 1030. I can rearrange my schedules. Some of you are going, I work 60-hour weeks, you know, you know eight, 8 to 5. I mean, how do I, I swing shit? I get all that. But there is a possibility that some of you in this room have a little bit more time on your hands. You are now in a season of your life. You've retired. And let's be honest with you. Some of you are looking for purpose. You're just looking for it. You, you, you're, you're, you've retired enough going, okay, I played golf. I've done this. I played, you know, you're getting up, you're walking your dog, you're drinking your coffee, You check the paper, check the news. And they're like, okay, now it's 10 o'clock. What do I do? So if you're in that place and you're looking for an opportunity this is an opportunity. And what comes over us, I think a lot of times is fear, like, oh my gosh, the school, like going in there and what do I do? Um, if you're a loving person and and you have experience in life, you're going to be a great fit because that's what everybody needs is some love. Everybody needs a little bit of hope. And you've got all this wealth of like, it's called the school of hard, hard knocks that you have in your life that you can go, oh, I can talk about one time when I had to kind of fight for my integrity or take courage and, and, and you, you can model that these kids that just don't have it. They don't have it. The, I, I talked to Mr. Benson, my good friend Darren Benson at uh, at the school the other day. He's the principal of Blaine Mill School. And we're talking about getting the program in and connecting with Jacob. And, and we're just talking about the difficulty teachers have at teaching. This is going to help teachers be able to ha- bring some character development in the classrooms. Like, this is where we can make an impact in the world in a very tangible way. And it's one way. It's one way we can serve our community. And so if you're considering that, talk to Jacob afterwards. There's a sign-up sheet. I think we've got a few people already interested in about that. That's a, a great way. So I appreciate Jacob. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, sir. Um, now, you can't, be, you can't be passionate about everything, but that's an area that I'm looking to get involved with. I hope you can. But here's the question. What are you going to do? How are you going to fight for our community this week? Today's not a touchy-feely message, isn't it? Oh, I feel good. Isn't this good? You know, sometimes you go to church and it's about you. Sometimes you go to church and oh, it's not even about me. It's about God using my life. However, though, you might have needs as we go through the need for hope and the need for direction and need for, you know, you are the one, you, you need to be recipient. You feel like you're a bit of prison or war right now. We want to know we're here to pray with you. In a moment here, we're going to stand and during this last song and even afterwards, there's going to be some folks in our caring connection up front here. Every single week we're here to pray. You can text us this week, your prayer requests, reaching out. If there's something we can do to help and serve you so you can get out and find freedom that you can also help others find because there's a war. There's a war. Will you stand as we pray? Jesus, we are so grateful to know you and know that the victory has already happened. That you won the war to end all wars spiritually for us. There is no need to go and fight that ultimate battle that we cannot win over sin and death that Jesus you accomplished on the cross and you rose from the dead so that we can stand here today in Christ in victory but Lord the the battle is not over we are on a rescue mission for the rest of our lives to do the one mission you called us to is to go and make disciples and to reach out the hurting, lost, broken people in our community, specifically and with our students in our middle school, in our high school, and even our elementary school. God, youth that need us, our neighbors that need us, the people that we work with in our community and, and, and around us need us to be able to help them, show them the way out of the prison doors that they no longer have to be captive. They can be free and forgiven. And you. Lord, will you use our life this week? Will you give us the courage to step in and step out to what you have for us as a church? That we be known for love, that we be known for grace, that we be known for giving hope. That you ultimately are the one that gave of all that you accomplished, Lord. For those who are hurting and broken here in this room, God, that you, will you touch them and heal them? And they would, as they reach out to you in prayer, God, that you would do a work in them. So, Lord, you can do a work through them. We pray this in Jesus' name.